Well, so good to see you guys. I love you, church, and uh, I know we got a lot of guests here, and it's just so good to see you, to greet you, especially when it's holiday seasons. Uh, just really uh, touches me to, to be with you and to see you. Uh, traditional Easter greeting for centuries is the pastor says he has risen, the people say he has risen indeed. Would you stand with me and repeat uh, after me three times the resurrection greeting? He has risen. He has risen. He has risen. Amen. Amen. Keep standing. I'm going to read from Luke 15. Today, we're, of course, celebrating Jesus Christ and what happened that weekend when on Friday he was hung, crucified on a cross, and God put all of our sins for all time upon him, including my sins and your sins. And then, of course, the grave couldn't hold him. Sunday morning, he burst out of that tomb, resurrection life. This morning, we're going to look at not so much at the details of the narrative, but the, but the love of God behind that. Why did Jesus come? Is because the Father, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And perhaps the best picture of the love of God, the love of the Father, and all the Bible comes from the lips of Jesus in our gospel that we've been studying in Luke 15. So I'm reading beginning in Luke 15, verse 11. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hard servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate the Word of God. Please be seated. 
This story, incredible story, begins back in verse 1 when some religious leaders who were self-righteous and condescending and condemning sees Jesus eating with known sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, adulterers, people who clearly did not keep the Mosaic law. And they were scandalized because in their traditions, you just didn't do that. To eat with known sinners like this was to legitimize their lifestyle and saying it was okay. And they were aghast at this. Jesus responds, not addressing directly the matter of eating with known sinners, but he goes deeper than that. He goes to a more foundational truth. He says, the way you see God is all wrong. Uh, The problem here is your view of God and how he sees lost people. And friends, I would say this, that there is nothing more important on the planet than how you see God. Because if we do not see God as the loving Father, as Carly talked about, that He is, uh, then we'll completely live and die and miss Him. And we won't experience the life He has for us. We won't trust Him. We won't love Him back. We won't enjoy Him. The satanic strategy is to get you to disbelieve the goodness of God to you so that you won't trust Him. And so Jesus tells not one, not two, but three stories, knowing that we humans are so slow to understand the heart of God for us, to show us how good God is. Now, the first story involves some lost sheep, and uh, uh, the shepherd who represents God, when he loses one sheep, goes and searches and searches and searches until he finds that sheep, because that sheep matters so much to that shepherd. And when the shepherd finds him, he puts that sheep on his shoulders. He rejoices. He comes home and calls a party of friends and family to celebrate my sheep has been found. And he's saying that's the way God looks at these known sinners. He's crazy about them, and he searches for them. And then similarly, a woman loses a very special coin in an earthen floor, and she sweeps and sweeps and lights the lamp. And when she finds it, she's thrilled she calls her friends and family, let's party and rejoice because I found, found my coin. And God is telling us, this is the heart of God towards us. He loves us and he searches for us and he parties when, we, when he finds us because he's so thrilled. And all of that leads up to uh, this story of a lost son. Lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. And there we see that the father had two sons. Younger son comes to the father one faithful day. And he says to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that belongs to me. Now imagine that. Imagine if you were uh, going to one of your parents or your parents and you said, uh, hey, I want my inheritance. I can't wait till you die, so give me my inheritance now. You know, how rude that would be, how hurtful that would be. We just wouldn't do that, would we? Well, in the Middle Eastern culture of this day, it was a horrible insult for any child to ask for their inheritance early. It was tantamount. It was equivalent to saying, you know, I'm, I'm so tired of waiting for you to die. Can I just go ahead and have my inheritance now? There's a scholar who grew up in Egypt, Kenneth Bailey, and he's uh, lived his entire adult life in several Middle Eastern countries, Lebanon, uh, Jerusalem, Jordan, I think. And he has for decades asked people, have you ever heard of a son asking a father to give me your inheritance early? And they, they always say, no, never, never. They said, well, what would happen if a son did do that? Well, he'd be banished. You know, he'd be just, uh, you know, excommunicated. 
And uh, it, it was just such a horrible dishonoring in a culture of honor for a son to do that. But Jesus says, um, this is what this young son does. And what does the father do? Does he poison him? As I've read about in one instance, does he banish him? Does he excommunicate him from the village? No, he gives him his share of his inheritance. And what Jesus is saying is that you religious leaders, the problem here is that you've got God the Father all wrong. He is not a stern taskmaster waiting to, to jump on you. When I was living in Oregon, as a young pastor, Gail and I were living there. We are in Roseburg, Oregon. And my favorite place to run was a gravelly dirt road winding up the side of a mountain. It was called West Military Road. And it had these overhanging maple trees that were beautiful. And as the road climbed up the side of the mountain, there was this increasing valley on one side. And I loved running out there. I felt that, you know, in just a few minutes from my house, I could feel like I was out in the country. Uh, I had one unusual thing about the run, though. About a mile into the run, there was another little dirt road, a smaller dirt road, going off to the side and turning and going up the hill. And it's just the kind of road that normally I would love to explore, my kind of road. But there was a hand-painted sign strung on a wire across the road that said, private property, no trespassing. Now, normally that wouldn't deter me because I'd, I'd just, you know, okay, that's probably referring to hunters, you know, not for runners. So I'd probably normally just go, go run down that road. But there was also underneath that sign more words that said this, no, no trespassing, private property, you are being watched. And that did deter me. You know, those of you who've lived in Oregon know there's kind of a pioneering spirit up there and, you know, just couldn't be sure if there wasn't some, you know, country guy up there with a gun ready to pounce on somebody. So I never ran down that side road. But I did think this. I did think, you know, that's the way that so many of us grow up thinking about God. He's up in heaven, ready to pounce on us if we mess up, ready to blast us away. You know, something like a cosmic killjoy. And in the heart of Jesus... He is saying to these religious leaders and to all of his listeners back then and to all of us this morning, you've got God all wrong. And it's going to completely ruin your life. This is who God really is. And he tells these stories. And he's the kind of God who is not impatient, but he's slow to anger and merciful and gracious. And like the father in the story, horribly insulted, dishonored, he gives him his share of the estate. The son liquidates his estate, which wasn't done, selling the family land. He goes to a far country and he squanders his living, all this money with reckless living called prodigal giving. And the, the word prodigal doesn't necessarily mean sinful, but uh, a spendthrift. He's spending freely all of that money. He's a prodigal son. But the money runs out, and a famine, a severe famine hits the land, and the friends disappear. There's no family around, and he is in a world of hurt. He's starving to death so much that he's desperate for a job. He finds a job from a, apparently a Gentile in this, uh, probably a Gentile land, and, and he is, uh, his work is feeding the pigs. Pigs. He's Jewish. They don't mess with pigs. They don't touch pigs. They're dirty. But he is longing to feed himself 
with what the pigs are feeding from. He is so desperate. He's not starving here of hungry. By, by the way, this is a picture of what sin does to us. We think it's attractive. We think it's going to bring us life like that son thought they'd been. This is the way to live. But uh, the, the, the pain that he's in, the loneliness that he's in, the remorse that he feels, this is what sin does to us. We see that all through the Bible. Sin always hurts us. It may look pretty, but it's a lie. It always hurts us. Many of you know my favorite story about a picture of sin. True story that happened outside of a, a Seattle RV park. A man, Dennis Quigley, late at night, hears someone just outside his RV coughing and, you know, making a racket. He goes out there, and the man had been trying to steal gas, and he put a hose in the, in the gas tank, but unfortunately, and he sucked hard on the hose, but unfortunately, he didn't put it in the gas tank, but in the sewage tank. And he sucks hard on it, and he's in there coughing it out and, you know, trying to get rid of it. And I think, you know, that is a perfect picture of sin. It's like you're sucking sewage. Now, friends, if you have not been obeying the Lord and trusting the Lord and following the Lord, your life is not working very well. Don't be surprised. It's like you've been sucking sewage. Because God's way is always best for you. He loves you. He's a loving Father, and He wants the best for you. So, Jesus, this is what sin does to us. And the man comes to his senses. The young man, oh, you know, how many of my father's hired servants got more than enough to eat, and I'm starving to death here. And this is what he says. He begins rehearsing what he'll say to his father because he's not sure he's going to be accepted. I'll go back and I say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you because all sin is against God. All sin is against God. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He gets that part. And then he says, would you make me as one of your hired servants? In other words, can I get a job and earn back what I have lost from the family? Can I earn my way? And he says, I'm going to do it. By the way, there have been times in my life as a pastor in which I've talked to a dear man or woman who've been abandoned by a spouse who's with somebody else and their heart's ripped out, and I would just pray with them. And this passage will come to mind. And just let's pray that they come back to their senses, come to have their moment of insight just like this prodigal. That's what they need. And it's a picture of repentance. He comes back. He starts his journey. Now we get to the heart of the parable that Jesus tells us about God. He's saying to us, you want to know what God is like? This is God. And it comes to an apex in verse 20. In verse 20, and he arose and came to his father many, many days, maybe weeks' journey. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, long way off down the road, his father saw him. Now, how did his father see him? Well, Jesus is telling us that this father was so lovesick for his son, so longing for his son, that probably every day he goes up to those outside stairs on that flat Middle Eastern roof, and he stares down that road where his son had left months before, longing for his son to walk back down that road. And every time he sees a solitary figure come down that road, no doubt his heart leaps a little faster. Maybe that's my son. And it gets a little bit closer, and he says, oh, it's not my son. Day after day after day, 
And then one day, he's up there waiting for his son. And he sees this solitary figure, and his heart leaps a little faster. And as he comes closer and closer, the tears start to come down his cheek, lump in his throat. That's my son. And the text says he saw him when he was still a long way off, and he felt compassion. He was overfilled with compassion. He was bursting with tender love for his son. Now, in that day, this is what would happen according to cultural norms. If there was a prodigal son coming home, then the father would sit in a dignified manner on the porch and wait for the son to come up and sufficiently grovel before him and apologize. Not this father. Jesus saying, that may be the God of the Pharisees. That's not the real God that there is. Friends, that may be the God that you thought was. No wonder you're running from him. If so, I'd run from that God. But Jesus is saying, that's not God. you got God all wrong. He is a loving Father who longs for us. He longs for every one of his lost sons and daughters. The story goes on. Jesus said that the Father up on that roof sees him, is overwhelmed with tender compassion, and then he ran and embraced him. Now that is a, a, something we've got to understand in the parable because in that culture, uh, adult men don't run, certainly not dignified landowners. We had uh, Pat Shad in the first service. Pat runs 100-mile races. Pat's my age. Uh, it's okay for adult men in our culture to go running. Uh, yesterday morning, Mike Novelli and I go out to Burroughs Park. We've got these little shorts on, these little shirt on, and no big deal. We can go out and run in Burroughs Park. About six weeks ago, for our men's advance, we had about 25 people here from around the world, including... 15 or 20, either Muslims or Muslim background believers. And one of those delightful men was Yosef. Many of you met Yosef. Yosef from Lebanon is an imam, a scholar, a sheik, and he came with full imam dress. And uh, if those of you who remember him, you can't imagine, can you, um, Yosef running with that robe and that hat and that, you know, like he was dressed. You can't, he wouldn't work. And that would be like this father. He just wouldn't run. It was just way beneath the dignity of adult men to run in public. It'd be such a humiliating thing. Jesus says, this father, he not only is staring down that road day after day, his heart bursting with compassion when he sees his son, tears streaking down, but he flies down those stairs. He hikes up that road and he runs for his son. And Jesus is telling us, God is so in love with you that he will humble himself to any length necessary and he will run after you. He'll run after you. And he has run after you. You wouldn't be in a room like this where God is present, where the Bible is taught unless God was running after you. And those religious leaders are scandalized that Jesus is eating with these, these sinners, these known sinners. Jesus said, it's far bigger than that. You, you're scared because I'm eating with them? You think that's contaminating me? It's much greater than that. I will not only eat with them, I will run after them and hug them and pull them into the dining hall and we'll eat together because I love them. That's the heart of God for lost people and including every single one. 
The story Jesus says, he ran after him, ran down that road, gets there, he embraces him. Can you imagine a 15-year-old daughter of yours who uh, has lost her way? She disappears one day, and you can't imagine the lifestyle. You don't hear from her for months. A year goes by, and one day you hear a knock on the door. You open the door. You're lovesick for your daughter, and there's your daughter. What do you do? The tears come down. So delighted. Jesus is saying, this is the heart of the Father. No matter how you've messed up, no matter how much you think you have failed, no matter how much you've rebelled against God, this is God's heart towards you. He's longing for you. He wants you to come home. In the classic movie, Wizard of Oz, you remember Dorothy you know, keeps longing to be back home, and she'll click those ruby slippers together and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And, and that is a profound insight that we long for home. From time to time, I, I mentioned to you that when I'm traveling around the world, I, I feel like that, you know, my home is wherever Gail happens to be at the time because uh, I love that woman. But in a deeper sense, my home is really with God because I long for him. And so do you. God put it in your heart. You long to come home to your Father, to God. Come on home. Come on home. When the Father gets there, braces him, smothers him with kisses, the Son had rehearsed that speech, and he he starts into it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. He admits his sin. He admits he doesn't, hasn't earned, not worth uh, the Father's love and forgiveness. But he stops there. He doesn't go on to talk about, hey, let me earn my way back. I think that he felt so much unconditional love and acceptance from his Father. He knows he didn't have to earn his love anymore. And the Father jumps in, says to the servants, go get the best robe and bring it to him and put it on him. The best robe, that would be my robe. Go to the master closet and get my robe because that's my son and put it on him. And I love him. Get him a ring because sons need a ring. Get him shoes because those servants may not have shoes, sons have shoes. And let's kill the fattened calf that would feed the whole village and let's celebrate because I am so overwhelmed with joy that my son has come home. And Jesus said, that is God. That's God. The Pharisees and the religious types might grumble, but all heaven rejoices when any lost son comes home. And the father says, that's my son. He was dead, and now he lives. He was lost, and now he's found. And they began to party. He is the God of the party. Friends, is this how you see God Is this how you see God's heart towards you? Don't live your life and miss God. Don't live your whole life and believe the satanic lie that God is a mean God holding back good from you. And you're going to go out drinking sewage. But believe what Jesus tells us. He is like the most loving father that you could ever imagine. And he is full of grace and love for lost people like us. You know, this passage is called the prodigal son because the word prodigal means 
He's suspendthrift. He just spent his money too wastefully. But a recent book a year or two ago, delightful little book, the author called this story Prodigal God because he said God is such a spendthrift with his grace. He pours out grace recklessly upon folks like us. This morning, friends, would you come home to God? Would you come home to your Father? Maybe you've never trusted Him as your Savior. Maybe you thought you had to earn your way. You can't ever earn your way. Just come home. He's waiting for you. Maybe you've done that before, but you've kind of stiff-armed Him out, and you've kind of gone your own way, and you're sort of mad at Him. Friends, you got God all wrong. He welcomes you with loving arms. Would you stand with me? Friend, just breathe a prayer right now. Say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I'm coming home. Maybe what the, what the young son said, I've sinned against you, Father. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm coming home. And he'll receive you. Maybe you're a believer. You've already done that, but you've wandered away. Friends, this is your destiny, to live in the Father's love for the rest of your life. Embraced by the Father in the great party. Lord, thank you for a Savior who made a way for us to come back to you and who rose from the dead. Bless these dear people whom you love. In Christ's name, amen.